Well, I guess when your sermon slides on the screen, that's the cue for the preacher to come up to the pulpit. <laughs> Who knew? Well, good morning. Good morning. Hopefully you have your Bible in front of you, and I'll ask you to please open up to Paul's letter to Philemon. And as you're finding that, uh, that sort of one pager there, I, w- I do want to borrow Paul's words elsewhere and really say them specifically uh, to you here. My partners in the gospel at Knollwood, when Paul said this, I love this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You know, on behalf of our board and staff at the Cross Current, we thank God for you and your partnership in his gospel. And more personally, as a family, um, really for your love uh, and your faith, it's really impacted my family and ministry more than you probably all realize, especially through this tough season. I mean, uh, doing our best to faithfully mobilize more and more Christians and churches for gospel ministry. But this morning... I really want to thank you from God's word and encourage you from God's word uh, by opening his word and discovering together uh, what God says makes for faith worth sharing. Now, kind of a full stop, because as I think you know, as one of your missionaries here at Knollwood, many, uh, if not most of you probably know that I actually serve as an equipping evangelist with the cross current. Now, if you happen to see the sermon title at any point, it's altogether possible that you kind of thought something like this, like, man, wow, it's nice for Corey to be here, but is he going to blast us again about sharing our faith? Is that really what, what I've signed up for this morning? Not exactly. Not exactly. It's actually not the case. And so I want to start with, with prayer, and I want to ask for the Holy Spirit's help, um, because I believe he wants to refresh your hearts this morning. I really believe that. He wants to refresh your hearts about faith we're sharing as family together in Christ. So let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Ah, Well, Lord, we love you. We've been singing about that, and we thank you for this time together. God, as I open your word today, I pray uh, sincerely so, Lord, that you would help, help me and you would lead me by your Holy Spirit. And God, may I handle your truth correctly And in so doing, God, may I encourage your people and bring you the glory that you alone deserve. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Philemon verses 1 through 7, uh, Paul gives thanks to God for Philemon's love and faith by saying this. If you have it there in your Bible, right from verse 1 in Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Paul addresses this letter to Philemon. So, who is Philemon and why is Paul writing to him? Well, just like when any of us send a letter, right? Maybe in the modern sense, an email, we know that 
the way Paul starts his letter has very much, a t- sort of tells us the type of relationship that he uh, enjoys with the one who will be reading the letter. So look what it says there. Three times throughout the letter, Paul calls himself a prisoner, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He calls Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, who, as it says, hosts a church in his house, an archipist. Now, most commentators believe archipist to be Philemon's son, a little side note there, but he calls Archippus our fellow soldier. So clearly kind of the implication is these are partners in ministry together. And the picture Paul's painting is a picture of mission. Really, Paul's talking to comrades of war. We had a great prayer time uh, before the service together. Talked a little bit about this idea of warfare in this time and place. But for you, Christian, whether the Lord would have you serve as uh, maybe his prisoner of war, maybe his worker of war, maybe his soldier of war, perhaps all three, as followers of Christ, please know this, we are on a call of duty together, aren't we? And we're to leave no Christian soldier behind on this mission field. And that's why, if I were preaching this in two parts, next week we'd be looking at, um, at Paul's appeal to Philemon about the need to reconcile his relationship with this guy Onesimus. Because one, if not the major theme of this particular letter is reconciliation. And in particular, hear this, because this will circle back. In particular, the power of the gospel to transform lives. The power of the gospel to transform lives. And just, I just got to tell you that just like uh, Paul's relationship with Philemon, it's been my joy and experience that there is this camaraderie in Christ that only comes from actively sharing our faith together, from, as we say, doing life in Christ together as transformed people living transformed lives by the power of God's Holy Spirit. So that's sort of the backdrop for Paul's thanksgiving to God for Philemon. Now he starts in verse 4, look at that again. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Right off the top, I love this, Paul thanks God for the good things he hears about Philemon. We know there's none, none good but God. And because God's the source, amen, God's the enabler, God's the giver of all good things, giving thanks for anything good always starts with giving thanks to God. So Paul says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Now, it's so, so interesting that that the present tense, you catch that? The present tense of Paul's Thanksgiving and prayer to God make, makes it crystal clear. This isn't some sort of you know occasional prayer that, that kind of Paul kind of makes, you know, when he gets around to it. Paul would have us know that he's always thanking God and he's consistently remembering Philemon in his prayers. Now, <laughs> a little bit of a uh, confession here this morning. I've been a pastor 17 years as a pastor. Who would be honest enough here at Knollwood this morning to say that you've, you've had that experience where a brother or sister in Christ has, has said to you, look, I'm really, really uh, going through hard times. Will you pray for me? And you say, absolutely. And you just, you just don't. 
<laughs> you forget, some, something gets in the way. You know, We've all done that. We've all done that before. But Paul, Paul here is always thanking God for Philemon, and he's consistently remembering him in, our, in his prayers. And I just believe we need, especially, wow, in this season of, of just, just you know, such exposure and such humility in this season, I believe we all need to hold each other accountable for doing that in our churches. Why is that? Well, because we know, again, that God alone is the source of anything good that's happening. And without God's abiding presence, wow, I love that word. Remember what Moses said back in the Old Testament? Look, God, if, you're, if your presence doesn't go with us, just, just we're packing it in. Just can't do this, right? Can't do this. But I do thank God that I have had several, several brothers and sisters in Christ who I just, I just know. It's almost as though I feel their prayers for me. It's like the arms of you know, Aaron and her with Moses. I almost feel their prayers. I think of, uh, of Brother Mike at, at Redemption, always praying, always praying. Uh, Sister Tammy, dear friend of ours, always praying, always praying. And I would just hope that, that we would learn from and be inspired by their example to always consistently pray for one another. So why though, why is Paul always praying for Philemon? We'll look at verse five, verse by verse here. Verse five he says, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Now again, Paul thanks God for Philemon, not just because he's heard, like once upon a time past tense. No, he hears about his love. He hears about his faith, present tense, because he's always hearing about Philemon's love. Man, this is humbling, and faith for the Lord and for his people, and that is different. And if you look at this again, just notice Paul's not sort of dishing out a few shallow compliments either, is he? Yeah, that, that Phil, he's just got a beautiful Bible, right? It's not one of those. It's not what he's saying. He specifically thanks God for Philemon's love and faith. Now, these are two words you probably recognize from Paul. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. This is the season we hear this passage a lot, weddings and such, right? In his famous love passage, Paul writes, so now faith, hope, and love. Paul just said that. These abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Colossians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5, Paul says, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So Paul often uses a sort of triad of Christian virtues, such as faith, such as hope, and love for a very specific reason. Here's why. Because these are key qualities of a mature and fruitful Christian life. So Paul's always thanking God for Philemon because here's why. The maturity of Philemon's life and witness, witness in Christ was consistently heard, both inside the church, that's really important, but also outside the church as well, through his love for the Lord and for the Lord's people. Now, speaking again of me, it's kind of the, the pattern of this letter. We're going to look what Paul says, and we're going to apply it to ourselves. Introspectively, isn't that what you want people to always be hearing about you, I hope so, as a Christ follower, and about us 
together as his people. Wow, this has been a hard season, folks. We keep hearing that, but that's so true. But especially in this season, because good, bad, or ugly, we will be known, but more importantly, he will be known by the love and by the faith we have toward the Lord first and then toward each other. We know that, but can I tell you something? As an evangelist, this is so, so true. The world knows that as well. Scripture says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And it's been my experience, and likely yours too, that this idea of fruit inspection is sort of this this principle that every image bearer of God seems to know, whether they're saved or whether they're unsaved. Who likes to be called a hypocrite? Like, no one, right? It means we're not consistent with our talk and our walk. And of all the fruit of the Spirit, Paul might say, love and faith are fruits of mature Christian life and witness that really need to be seen and to be heard in our lives. Now, thankfully, thankfully, the Holy Spirit speaks through Paul here to give us a really, really big clue about how we can cultivate love and faith worth hearing about and sharing with the world. So look at the first thing we notice, the flow. I've called this the flow of the love and faith is important here. Paul writes again, your love and faith that you have first toward the Lord Jesus and then for all the saints. I think this, is, this flow is very, very intentional. I mean, I mentioned just a few minutes ago that God himself is the source of all good things, including love and faith, and that's why we need to receive true love true faith from him first before we can share it with each other and the world around us. That's why my point one, if you're taking notes, is this. Faith worth sharing is first, I've called it vertical or up, and then missional or out. Up, out, vertical, missional. I mean, the greatest commandment Christ gives us is to love him most first, right? And then to love others. And that's why Paul's flow here is first having love for the Lord Jesus Christ and faith, and then love and faith for each other. You might say it this way. I mean, we're talking about faith worth sharing. That's what I've titled this and obvious, but everyone understand you can't share what you don't have. You can't share what you don't have. So this is what I think Paul would want us to know. This faith worth sharing first comes from the Lord, worship. We become who or what we behold most. Worship inspires witness, folks. If you're, if you're passionate about sharing the good news, we worship. That drives our hearts to witness. But then it flows here to his people and through his people to the lost. And really, it's that flow, it's through that flow of faith shared that God is glorified. And practically speaking, that, that mature Christian life and witness, that life and witness characterized by love and faith for the Lord is cultivated by, here's that word again, abiding in him. Abiding in him. Jot down John 15 and read that again later. John 15. First vertical, then missional. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 15. I'm just going to read verses 7 to 9 in the context of abiding to Christian maturity. If you abide in me 
and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. First vertical, ask whatever you wish. Call upon the name of the Lord, it will be done for you. First vertical, and by this my Father is glorified, how Jesus, that you bear much fruit, and so prove around you to be my disciples, then missional, right? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. And that's why the biblical flow of our love and faith um, sharing is this, the Lord, each other, and then our world. The Lord, each other, and then our world. Because as we move into the second point about being active in, in sharing our love and faith, hear this, how we share our love and faith in here with each other really becomes not just like a good idea, but it's the evidence the world will even know if we're Christians. I mean, Jesus said it pretty clear, right? I and the Father are one. To paraphrase, you be one. That's how the world will know that, you, that I've been sent. Wow. Wow, folks. It's not just about being effective. It's about being faithful, and that's the evidence the world will even know if we're Christian, how we love for one another, how we care for one another. So with all that in mind, what, what, kind of, what does this look like? What might first vertical and then missional, sounds really good, Corey, but what might it look like practically in my own life? Well, here are a few introspective questions I think you can ask yourself and ask the Lord about your own life and witness. Here's one. Do my life decisions demonstrate my belief that God is the source of all good things? And do I offer him thanksgiving and praise in every circumstance? It's hard for me. I'm a, I'm a complainer. I'm a very discontent human being. I really am. That's hard for me. Do I always thank God for my church family, and do I consistently pray for them? Am I growing in love and faith toward the Lord in my church family? Am I sharing the love and faith of Christ with others out of the, hear this, out of the overflow of my love and faith for my first love, Christ himself. I used to do this illustration with my kids of, you know, the, the empty cup, and, and as we pour into other people and our cup becomes empty, do you understand, if we don't top that thing back up, you're ministering from flesh. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. We got to be topped up in here. We gather together to scatter together. Okay, Faith worth sharing is first vertical, then missional. That leads to point two. Faith worth sharing, love this, brings us good things for God's glory. Good things for God's glory. In verse six, really at the very heart of Paul's prayer for Philemon, he says this, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Second confession. I've got a few of these in my, my sermon today. Second confession. Who, who, who's ever been tempted, especially parents, to take a, a, a passage or a, a verse or a chapter in the Bible and, and to try to make it mean something that God didn't intend it to mean, just get people to do what you want them to do? You ever been there? I mean, I, I, I read this. I mean, God has gifted me as a teaching evangelist. It's taken me lots of years to sort that out. But when I saw this passage, just a full stop, I saw this passage about sharing your faith. I'm like, amen. 
That'll preach. That'll get them going, Lord. I mean, the NIV renders this verse. I jotted this down. This is even better. I pray that you may be active in sharing your... I mean, active is even more forceful. I'm going to get up here and just like let a rip on all the... Not my heart at all. Not my heart at all. Plus, that's why God actually says we're supposed to, supposed to correctly handle his word, not subjectively handle his word. In other words, it's not... It's not about what Corey wants the Bible to say. It's about studying, as a workman approved, to discover what God says, and then to try to faithfully communicate that. So, that's my confession to you this morning. So, what does this phrase, uh, this phrase I should say, uh, sharing your faith, really mean? Well, I actually believe, after studying this out some, that this phrase applies to everyone in the church, including the teaching evangelist. And um, if you remembered earlier, I said that a major theme of Paul's letter here is the power of the gospel to transform lives. The gospel to transform lives. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, Right, That same writer, Paul, he defines the biblical gospel for us, so we need to know that, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the good news of the faith that we're sharing. In fact, without that reality, that Christ died for our sins and he was raised for our justification, Paul would go on to say that our faith is in vain. So I just want to kind of bridge here. This, this, is, this is not just for my benefit, but for yours as well. I want to bridge here that as we try to understand what Paul means by sharing your faith, because it's not quite evangelism, it's something a little different, the gospel has to be where sharing our faith begins. Everyone gets this? Everything's about the gospel and being gospel-centered. And so uh, if you're maybe visiting today, you're watching online, what is the gospel? Here it is. The gospel is the good news that our perfectly just and gracious creator God, who continually blesses us, has looked upon hopelessly sinful humanity, and he sent his son Jesus Christ to bear his wrath in our place. Through his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, Jesus showed his supreme power over sin and death so that everyone, everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus alone as both Savior and Lord will be made righteous and reconciled to God now and forever for his glory. That's the gospel. That's the Good news that we first heard and believed. And again, because evangelism is one thing we can't do in heaven. Catch that? One thing we can't do in heaven. We know that, that this had to include evangelism, but honestly, I don't think that's primarily what Paul had in mind here. Okay? I think Paul meant something, uh, something else. But something I'm equally as excited about, and I've even been praying for, praying for you, praying for other churches, and other church leaders. You see, we know that for Pastor Paul, that the gospel is not just a call to initial saving faith. Some Christians kind of go, I've heard the gospel, man. Yeah, you heard the gospel the first time you were, you were saved, praise God. It's also a call to daily sanctifying faith is the gospel. Theologically, you might say it this way. Yes, the gospel initially 
justifies. Amen. Paul says that. But it also continually sanctifies and even eventually glorifies, the gospel does. And after studying this phrase, sharing your faith, I've come to the conclusion that what Paul's got on his heart and mind as a pastor here is this daily walk of sanctifying faith. That doing life together in relationship with Christ and with each other. So let's unpack this. You're going to be excited about this. Paul writes, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Now the word Paul uses for sharing is one you'll likely recognize. It's koinonia. It's partnership in the gospel. So this is about us as followers of Christ working together. And here it is. Jointly participating and sharing in the full gospel together. See, Paul's praying to that end that Philemon's participation, Christian, his partnership in the gospel may become effective. And that goes for all of us. Well, effective for what? Look what he says. For the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of of Christ. Now, full knowledge, epignosis. You want a 75 cent word for the water cooler tomorrow? Epignosis. Full knowledge. The word Paul chooses here to use does not just mean head knowledge, it's actually knowledge acquired by experience. So here's a, here's a summary Paul's praying that Philemon's partnership and participation in the gospel in his church that's the context will become effective for all of us experiencing experiential knowledge of every blessing of every benefit we share together in Christ why for God's glory faith worth sharing brings us church good things for God's glory And in context with our whole passage, in praying for the sharing of your faith, here's what Paul's primarily saying in, in sort of common language. Philemon, look, I thank God for the love and for the faith that he's given you for the Lord Jesus and his people. Everyone's telling me about the maturity of your walk and your witness for him. And because of your maturity, hear this, you need to be actively participating in your local church. Not just for your benefit, the way up is down, I must decrease so he increases, but for theirs too. And after he lays that biblical foundation for sharing the faith in the church, Paul adds this, verse 8, accordingly, that's a unifying word, I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what's required. Paul is being pretty strong here. Accordingly, therefore, in New King James, Paul's saying, because of all those good things you're doing, in verses 4 to 7, because of those things, I can, by the authority of King Jesus, I can boldly command you in Christ of another good thing you need to do in verses here, 10 to 17. And, and so interesting that the implication is, hear this, the implication is, is that if Philemon were to choose not to do this one thing, this one thing that benefits the whole body, not just him, not just his little Christian walk, it's me and Jesus along the road, Jesus take the wheel, 
I think he has the wheel, and I think he owns the car, right? I think he's, he's the king. But it's not just like that. He's saying the, that if you were, Philemon, if you don't do this one thing which benefits the whole body, it would be denying the whole body. I mean, catch this, church. Paul's praying. Paul's instructing. He's discipling Philemon to share his faith, koinonia, to do his part for the blessing and benefit of the whole body because the whole body is only effective when each individual is doing their part. This is way off my notes. Just a little pastoral plug here. If you came to church this morning and resolved to do nothing, then you're denying the body of Christ. I'm not saying you did that. I'm not saying you did that at all. But my pastor's heart breaks for people who rob themselves of the joy of serving others. But it's bigger than that. Paul would say it's bigger than that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, listen to this. Same guy wrote this. From whom the whole body, the church, joined and held together by every joint. You hear Paul saying we're all in this together with which it is equipped. I'm getting worked up, Matt. Okay, you're good? Okay, I'm getting kind of worked up here. Okay, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is why our unity in Christ and everything we do as a church must be focused on God and God alone and glorifying Christ alone. Christ alone, not ourselves not the actual work we do, not our missions, not our ministries, not what we do, but who he is. And what's more, Paul's saying that that Christ can really only be fully revealed and glorified in us by us partnering together, not just me, not just Pastor Nate, not just Pastor Matt, Steve, or whoever, whoever. It's us. We are a package deal. Do you understand, folks? That when there were a few people around this morning, we looked a little like Jesus as others, but as more saints come walking in using their spiritual gifts, we look that much more like Jesus. Does the world need to see Jesus? Amen? Then get to work. It's not complicated. Let's serve then, together, for the glory of God. Faith worth sharing brings us every good thing for God's glory. Every good thing, not just the cup of cold water, not just the hug, though those are things that are important, not just the prayer, very important, or just the gospel preaching even. We're a package deal. Christ is all those things, isn't he? So it's no longer us that live, but Christ in us. And we reveal him to the world. We reflect the glory of Christ to the world by sharing every good that thing that's in us, in him, together. That's why faith worth sharing brings us good things for God's glory. I love this illustration. It's not mine, but it's so helpful. You might think of the church as being like the moon. You think what the moon is. The moon is just a big ball of dirt that reflects sunlight to the earth. That's really all the moon is, right? Well, likewise, really... Really, we're just, no offense, but we're all just one big ball of sanctified filth here this morning. That's what we are because of the king, right? But we've been cleansed, praise God. We've been brought together by the blood of Jesus Christ, lifted high into the heavenly places by the creator of the universe for the sole purpose of reflecting his glorious sun light, S-O-N light, to the world together. 
Now, there's something called the supermoon, something I found out recently, and my wife's not a morning person, and I'm both a morning and an evening person. I'm not a sleep person, frankly, and I used to play this nasty trick. I'd get up in the morning, and I'd pull the drapes, and like the sun would come in. Or, but at night, the, the supermoon's kind of a fun option, too, because the supermoon's so bright that you can do that in the middle of the night, right? What if, what if Knollwood was a supermoon for the Lord? What if all of those people served together? What if everyone knew their spiritual gifts, discovered, demonstrated to the glory of God with the gospel in hand? Let me just share with you personally how I experienced a big ball of, of sanctified dirt, the church, sharing our faith together to bring good things for God's glory to my little world. This is amazing. Steve's here. This is a weird, God's so kind, the providence of God. But May 30th, 2009, Steve and I were very much in ministry partnership together at, uh, at a church, at Harvest Church. And uh, our fourth son, Judah Elias, was born, and he was as ill as our first son. We lost our first son. We've got two healthy guys in the middle, and we lost our fourth. And uh, my, my wife and I were both shocked. We were hurting and uh, in those really dark days, I just deeply thank God for, um, for a whole family of believers who took the time to share their faith in Christ with us. I mean, I thank God for our pastor, Norm, his wife, Cindy. I mean, they shared their faith with us at the hospital, immediately came. I think it was a Friday, great day for a pastor to show up at the hospital. Very hard that day with Sunday coming, but there he was, just by being there. I thank God for an elder named Tim, and I remember Tim shared his faith in Christ with us by just reading through Psalms as I sat in neonatal. Just, I needed that wash of worship of Jesus Christ, and it was an amazing thing, him speaking strength and and wisdom uh, into my life. And I thank God for the love and faith of our small group as they shared their faith with us, bringing us meals, and, 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 and I mean, fixing up our house. It was just a mind-blowing experience of practical faith sharing that brought good things for God's glory. When Judah had passed away on June 5th, I, I again thank God uh, for Norman Cindy, who, uh, they dropped everything. They dropped everything again and shared their faith with us, and just they just sat with us and, and cried with us and prayed with us, and and, um, and they comforted us as we held little Judah for the last time. And um, I thank God for my brother uh, in Christ, Jeff Mardling, who I've trained in evangelism. And, and here this guy, I mean, he's a funeral director. He took care of all the practical needs. He shared, hear this, he shared his faith with us like that. Yes, gospel-centered ministry, folks, to the glory of the king. He checked in and he did all those things. I, I thank God for an entire church sharing their faith with us at at Judah's funeral, I mean, there was greeting, and there was singing, and there was food prep, and and again, just being there, and I just can't forget their generous giving either. Practically, this is really important. What a testimony to our unsaved family and friends in Halifax, where I'm from, that this ball of sanctified filth, this church, would send us to and from Halifax, all expenses paid, just by a Gracious offering. Can you imagine what our family thought about that? Amazing. Now, I just hope you can just, this is a glimpse of the fact. I hope you can somehow relate to how much of a good thing that was for us, for us personally, the McKenna family. But what Paul's saying here, we all benefit from that ministry. 
You see, when, when, when supermoons reflect that kind of sunlight, it gets people talking, both inside and outside the church. First, inside the church. Wow, I had a dear Christian friend tell me that, you know, Corey, of all the funerals that I've attended, and he'd attended a bunch, uh, Judah's was the most convincing reflection of Christ. That's what he said to me. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? He basically said, you know, it's, it's a little easier to have faith when an older believer dies, but in this tragic situation, the love and the faith we all experienced together as the body of Christ was the greatest testimony to the reality of Jesus Christ that I'd ever personally experienced. Isn't that cool? Because faith worth sharing brings us, us, good things for God's glory. Now, outside the church, I, I can't even quantify, I don't even know where to start, uh, how sharing our faith impacted personal evangelism. I, I mean, I've shared the gospel verbally with, uh, with most of our closest family and friends, and a little teaching side note, we need to do that because unsown seed can't be, water, or can't be watered or grown. You get that? We sow, God grows, right? You've got to sow for seed to grow, but I've just got to tell you that though that was vital, to the process, it was our continuing walk of daily faith as the church through this tragic situation, through this difficult storm that blew the minds of our unsafe family and friends. I mean, wow, wow. But it was the sharing of our family of faith together. Do you hear this? Through the prayers, through the encouragements, through the funeral arrangements, through the food, through the flights, through the, the giving generously. All of that to the glory of God. And I'm just joyfully standing before you today to testify and to thank God to the fact that the faith we shared together did bring every good thing for God's glory. I remember one guy who's a dear friend of mine. He's a solid brother in Christ. And he stayed away during that weird season. And his justification for that was, I just didn't know what to say, man. It's not about knowing what to say. It's about being there as the body of Christ, right? He actually robbed himself of a blessing because the suffering servant suffered. When we suffer together as the church, who do we become more like? Jesus. And when we become more like Jesus, things just get a little bit clearer, don't they? But we all need to know, church, it's not just the prayers, it's not just the food, it's not just the phone calls, or even just the gospel preaching. We're a package deal. We're a package deal. And Christ is more fully revealed in us when we share the faith and every good thing he's given us together as one body. So one, faith worth sharing is first vertical, then missional. Faith worth sharing brings us good things for God's glory. And finally, Here's Paul's personal response to faith worth sharing. He says in verse 7, look what it says there. For I have derived much joy and comfort or encouragement from your love, my brother. Why, Paul? Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Faith worth sharing encourages and refreshes the church. Christians, do you have weary hearts right now, oh man, right? 
weary hearts. In this hard season of life and ministry, I just mean like that, that pain, maybe that panic, that anxiety deep, 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 deep down that just won't go away. It persists and persists, and you're so entrenched in that. It's like sludge. It's like that miry bog is back again, and it drains the life out of you. I can totally relate. I mean, it might surprise some of you, but I'm, a, I'm an introvert. And my default position is to basically go hide in a cave somewhere and just vent. That's kind of my thing. That's my thing. But that's not what God prescribes at all. Because Paul says, no, the body of Christ, elsewhere he says, is to care for one another and to serve one another. And if one part again suffers, we all suffer together. And it's interesting that the word for refreshed in verse 7 literally means, hear this, given rest from labor and to recover strength. So here's a practical application. In response to God's word, knowing, knowing this means to give rest, recover strength, why not set or write a reminder this week to personally call someone, a Christian, give them a call, and specifically share how your faith in Christ testify to the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the solid rock upon which I stand, the songs that we sing. Tell them why they've been real for you this week and last week and maybe last month. Encourage them in that through this hard season of life and ministry. Because the faith that Philemon shared has given Paul, Paul's a pretty resilient guy, him much comfort and encouragement, and it's also brought the peace, uh, the rest, the recovery in the Lord to all those with weary hearts. And that was just our experience as a family, and I know it will be yours as well. So Noah, I just again deeply, deeply thank God for you, and um, because your faith You might not even know this. Your faith has encouraged me. Your faith has encouraged and refreshed me and my family and our ministry, especially this past year. But hear this, that's the eternal impact of faith worth sharing together. And Christ is, amen, will be forever glorified when we're together. So let's pray.